Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am Josh Dooley, and with me as always, how about this one? He is the prodigy to my havoc. That's a Mob Deep reference for all you casuals out there. He is the one, the only, Chuck Holmes. Chuck, what's happening? How you feeling? More importantly, are you ready for a Boilermaker? And I'm not talking about Purdue. I am referring to a shot of whiskey dropped into a beer. I thought we'd have a few during this episode. I couldn't be farther away from ready for a Boilermaker, but I do have a declaration because we are mob deep and everybody knows this, but sometimes they need to be reminded ain't no such things as halfway crooks. We are not halfway crooks. We're full-blown crooks. We're here to wreck shit, but I'm still not doing any Boilermakers. <laughs> it's an aggressive way to come in for the pod. We are here to wreck shit because it is officially week seven of the college football season, which is going by way too fast. And Chuck and I are going to preview the Buckeyes' upcoming road game at Purdue in just a bit. But first, partner, let's talk Ryan Day's Tuesday presser. This presser is the whole reason we record on Tuesday, pretty much. And usually it's a waste of time and we get nothing. But, but today I do think that Day was at least a teeny tiny bit more forthcoming than he usually is. Unless I'm just like way off base here. A couple of things. Regarding Ohio State's offensive line play and their run game, Day took some responsibility there and continued to tell us what we already know, which is that neither is good enough right now. But I found it interesting or or somewhat revealing when he said that OSU coaches have looked at the lineup and or possible changes, but backups just aren't challenging starters. That's a real problem. But at least we got some honesty there, like real-time evaluation from Day, which I found to be both concerning and refreshing at the same time. Would it Part of it, I guess he has to at some point admit that this offensive line is playing like garbage. And if a, a position group isn't playing well, obviously they're going to ask the question, 
well, why are they still playing? And it, it, I'm sure it's been it's been getting asked and been getting asked. But at some point, he has to like he can't watch this film come out there and with a straight face say that this unit is playing well. So he knew he had to address it. The part that they're not pushing them, holy smokes, is that 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 is the red flag of red flags that you have. I mean, you you don't have three good offensive linemen on this roster and you've got nobody behind them that's even close. Like to me, it would be something if they were maybe, okay, they're not getting 50% of the reps, but maybe they get a possession. Like they're not even pulling them out in garbage time to get these guys reps that are on the second team. So holy smokes, is that concerning? A, because they're not producing and B, God forbid one of these guys actually gets hurt. Like, knock on wood, they've been really healthy this year on the offensive line. And if it's a if it's a drop off from this, and something happens in the second half of the year, what 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 the hell are they going to do? Yeah, you know, I think the offensive line conversation has been had. It's been had on this podcast. Others. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it's sort of. It's eye-opening, it's alarming when you hear it come from the head coach. Ryan Day is typically, not to say he's phony or fake or anything like that, but he's t- he's usually very positive. And he he's not one to like really call his guys out. And this wasn't, it wasn't a direct call, but it kind of was. It was like, yeah, our, our backups aren't good enough to play. And they're not challenging the starters who are also not playing as well as they should be right now. So... To hear that from Ryan Day, it's very concerning, but it's also sort of not surprising, Chuck, because you and I talked about it. We were texting about it, right? I heard these comments, and I, I know who's on the team, but I wanted to go back and, and look at the two deep and the three deep. I, I took it all the way to the top 15 on Ohio State's official or unofficial depth chart, okay? I think I used our lads. So when you get to, like, third string, it's it's questionable, right? But of the top 15 with air quotes, three of these guys were in the top 115 overall players of their recruiting class. Now, 115 is an arbitrary number. I cut it off there. Luke Montgomery was number 120 in his class. I think Enoch was like number 119, 120 in his class. But we're not talking blue chippers here. And we we knew that. We know that. But maybe I just I didn't want to face it. There's not a lot of depth here. And there's not a ton of talent when you're talking about guys who were number 188 in their recruiting class. I think that's what George Fitzpatrick was, and maybe he turns out to be good. Uh, he hasn't really seen the field. He may have been injured last year. I don't recall. I know he redshirted. Tegra Shabola was one of those three guys that was ranked inside the top 115 of their class. It really was in the top 70 because he and Matthew Jones were right around the same neighborhood, and then Donovan, jo- jo- Donovan Jackson was a five-star the rest of these guys, high threes, low fours, and they haven't developed to the extent that they had to go out late and get a Josh Simmons. They had to go out and get a Vic Cutler who we haven't really seen on the field. And what you said to me is, this is how programs really get into trouble. This is how they take a step back for years on end because 
how do you fix it? If the talent's not there and they haven't developed enough to replace uh, a guy like Josh Simmons or Josh Fryer, whoever's not up to snuff right now, what's the quick change? It hasn't been in recruiting. We talked about that on one of our recent podcasts. You're looking at the Armstrong twins, both three-star recruits. Ian Moore out of Indiana, he's a four-star. He's not a five-star. He's not a blue chipper. So there's no quick fix on the way unless it's transfer portal, and that's something that Ohio State clearly did not address last winter. They got caught with their pants down, and this is sort of the end result of that. And even if they are in the transfer portal and they're prepared to go get them, who's going to recruit them? What has Justin Fry shown that he can go get these guys? He, while we have uh, hammered Coach Stud for leaving the cabinet bare, it's not like Justin Fry all of a sudden went to the grocery store and filled it up. It's still bare. So this is a... This is an institutional and and a program issue that for a head coach who claims to want to be the toughest team around, being tough starts on the line. And right now, they are so far from tough, it's it's scary and concerning for the rest of the season when you have your arguably your three toughest opponents still to come. Absolutely. And who knows, they might get exposed. Ohio State was in on some guys in addition or beyond Simmons, but they weren't able to even land those guys. Um, there was a kid out of Rhode Island, a Johnny Cornelius. He ended up at Oregon. I'm just going back through here to look. Keontae Goodwin, he was he played at Kentucky, and I think he was an Ohio State commit at one point, or there was a flirtation there. He stayed in the SEC. He went to Florida. There were a couple other guys that Ohio State at least had conversations with. There was one out of Washington State, I think. And none of them ended up at Ohio State. Josh Simmons was sort of a surprise. And now maybe we know why not everyone was knocking down his door, right? And they've had some attrition guys have left. But I don't know, man. Like Luke Montgomery is going to have to be a beast. And I think it's promising that he's been out there as a true freshman. Granted, I think he was out there at one point as like a tight end or a fullback. But the fact that he's on the field, that's promising. But it's going to take some guys. And maybe Josh Simmons will eventually take that step. But getting back to the press conference real quick, that was concerning to hear Ryan Day kind of come out and be like, yeah, we're not where we need to be. And nobody's being pushed. And so this is just sort of what we got, guys. But after that... Ryan Day was finally asked about special teams or the first time that I remember. He didn't really give us much. He was about 99% coach speak. But he did essentially say that he needs to hold hold coaches more accountable. He lumped himself in there too, almost as a peer, which again is sort of concerning. But he didn't just bypass special teams altogether. And like tell us players that uh, tell us players are perfectly executing assignments. He was like, yep, need to get better, need to address it, need to hold others accountable. So uh, that was another thing that jumped out to me. And finally, Ryan Day revealed, I think officially for the first time, we had heard rumors, but I don't recall Ryan Day talking about this. 
He said that Dallin Hayden is likely to redshirt, so the team is basically keeping him on ice. Sort of odd, but I actually don't have a problem with that whatsoever. It's actually sort of refreshing to hear Ryan Day just come out and say and be like, yeah, look, there's a bunch of experienced guys in front of him, and we don't want to burn his red shirt if he's going to be in and out of every third game or something like that. And it's not typical for a true sophomore to be redshirted when they're healthy, but I don't think this is because Dallin Haynes not doing the right things. Clearly not an injury right now. And if he's on board with this, it could be good for all involved because we saw what he did, but that was due to injury. And he'll be there if injuries mount again. But it seems like he's just staying in shape, practicing with the guys, buying his time. And and I'm okay with that. What do you think, Chuck, about the special teams or the Dallin Hayden thing? The this this is where this press conference is where you miss someone like Urban Myers candidness and the way he handled coaches. You've heard horror stories about working for him and how tough he is on the coaches, but you would never hear himself lump himself in as a peer. Like you said, when it came to the errors, he would have called out the coaching staff and said they need to do better. The way Ryan Day called out the offensive line was urban-esque. That's something Urban would have said. Hey, starters aren't good enough, but the guys behind them are pushing them. So this is what we got, and that was that was refreshing and and kind of forceful in what he said. I know he doesn't ever sing anything like that forcefully, but it would the the concept was. But for a for it to just now be something that we're really discussing is insane to me, and it just goes to show that he doesn't take it serious like special teams are such a they're just not a big part of what he thinks is important as a football program and it did not cost them this week but boy let that happen against Michigan or Penn State and see what does happen so that part is I I think that will be an Achilles heel for him as a coach I don't you're either that's either your your program or it's not Jim Tressel, it was his. Urban Meyer, it was his. Yeah, special teams was, they were adamant that it was a priority. Right. Like right up there, it's 2B or something. And it's not for Ryan Day. And it you can still be successful, but you better have the right guys in place and you better have the right coaching in place. And I'm not convinced they have the right coaching in place. So TBD on that for it to happen in a big game. The Dallin Hayden part, I completely get it. What's he going to do that these other guys aren't going to do? Just running him out there to run into defensive ends that are two yards into the backfield already is kind of pointless. My only concern is, is you're redshirting him this year so that he has three years of eligibility wherever he transfers next year. Because I don't think for a second, if one or two of these guys end up back here, that he's sticking around. The only chance I think he sticks around is if all three guys ahead of him on the the depth chart are gone. And even then they're bringing in two, they've got prior. You could convince me that he still is going to jump ship just because he wants to guarantee going into his third year to get carries. And that's just not, not may not happen here. Yeah. You read my mind a little bit. I do think that all three of the others above him will be gone, but 
Who knows? I think technically Mayan Williams has another year. If he wants to come back, he might be like, hey, last year wasn't fun. I didn't enjoy being third string. I'm going to start the season at 230 pounds, and I want the rock. But I do hope that Hayden is involved or was involved in this decision. And is like, yeah, cool. I will get all of the the background sort of uh, experience without taking the hits, without taking the lumps and try and keep myself healthy. And then, you know, maybe even go into next year, next camp as 1A, 1B, something like that. But um, I know you had some things to say about the Knowles part of this press conference, the Jim Knowles part. One other thing, though, if you read between the lines, I would say that Emeka Buka is not going to play on Saturday. Thing or not a thing. I would be shocked if he was even in West Lafayette at this point. You can't tell me until proven otherwise a receiver. When you say it's not a long-term issue and that's a quote, I don't believe you until it actually happens. JSN wasn't a long-term issue. And then all of a sudden he played 12 more snaps the entire rest of the season. So I don't believe anything they say injury related. and. Frankly, somebody should have like that. They're not pushing back on this as reporters at this is kind of disingenuous of them as, as reporters. Like, are you going to report and are you going to do you really think Ohio State is going to pull your credential because you're questioning like timelines? And if you are, are what, what, what are we doing here? You would get more out of it by getting your credential pulled that you would get by just sitting there and listening and uh, roasting s'mores or whatever the hell they're doing while he gives this bullshit coach speak. Maybe they know that they're just not going to get an answer. When Beyond, we, hey, we don't think it's short-term, long-term, whatever. They're probably like, that's all we're getting. Okay, but then make them say that. Make him, make him do the dance. At some point, he's making $10 million to run this program. Make him hold him accountable to running this program. And part of that is giving the information that he should give. The fact that the the answer to Trevion Henderson was we anticipate him playing this week and that was it is is crazy. This is this is ridiculous. And and I there's no way, no way that coaches should get away with this. They just should they push more on Nick Saban. Now he fights back and they guess what? They still push on him every week. You hear us you hear a sound bite of him chewing on a reporter every 10 days, but they keep pushing on him, and he's the damn greatest coach of all time. So why can't these Ohio State guys push on Ryan Day a little bit? What what are they scared of? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's a legitimate question, I guess. I don't think Ryan Day is one to go after anybody, uh, unless it's Lou Holtz in the media. So probably wouldn't be too bad. <laughs> but uh but yeah, I mean, it's definitely a question worth asking out loud, and I'm not sure. But, Chuck, I didn't get to see or hear much about the Jim Knowles portion of today's press conference. I know that you were into a couple of things. Why don't you kind of give us your sound bites from that, and then we'll probably go to a break after that. But hit me with your coach speak from a Mr. Jim Knowles. Yeah, a couple things that just drive me absolutely crazy. So... They, somebody brought up C.J. Hicks, and his response was, he's a great athlete. Uh, we've got veteran knowledge and production at the position ahead of him, so 
basically because the guys are older, they're just playing ahead of him. He actually said that he thought the linebackers are playing well. What what film is he watching? Like the linebackers are on the ground. Like you can't you can't blow smoke up bar. Okay, if they were in the wrong spot, you could lie to me and say that's where we had them scheduled to be. There's never a play where Steel Chambers falling on the ground is the is his role. That's not that's give me a break. So those two things are it's it's ridiculous to me. I I just I can't get around that. The asking if there should be guys getting more reps at defensive end and if it's um something that's concerning going forward. His response was, well, we have to win the game in front of us. So that the fact that nobody then followed up with, so are you saying there's too much of a gap? Like this was like set up on a tee. It was the exact same question that should have been, that was asked about the offensive line and nobody asked and force him to say, these guys aren't as good as the guys that are starting or ask the question and make him blow you off. But so are we saying that Caden Curry and Kenyatta Jackson are that much farther behind? So Jack Sawyer doesn't have a sack on this year, but, and don't get me wrong, he played much better against Maryland, but you're telling me the other guys are that much farther behind a defensive end that doesn't have a sack in five games? What the hell? Like, what, what, are, we, what are we saying here? And why is it being accepted as gospel? Yeah, going back to the linebacker thing, Seniority should never outrank, overrule, Ever. be be Ever. more important than talent. Now, if it's equal talent, then yeah, okay, I guess I can see where seniority means something a little bit more. But like that's an an accounting firm or something like that. Hey, Jim knows all the numbers. He's been doing this for thirty years. Um, <clears throat> that sort of thing. Yeah, th- this isn't a union shop. These guys aren't teamsters. <laughs> like Tom well, Eichenberg doesn't get to drive the package car first. Yeah, I mean, if they don't get a cut, though, we'll see. Who knows how long, how much longer that could be the case. But uh, yeah, I, I don't like the. It sounded like a seniority thing. I don't like the seniority thing. And then when it comes to the defensive ends, I think that this coaching staff is in love with the fact that JT Tuimolo out and Jack Sawyer are almost always in the right spots. Whether you agree with that or not, that's something that has come up consistently. And it's like, you know, these guys know what to do against the pass, against the run. They're in the right spots. They're in the right gaps. Again, whether you agree with that or not, I just, I feel like they just, they love the idea of JT Tuimolo out and Jack Sawyer and their, Maybe fearful of the unknown. I that's really the only way, the only thing that makes sense to me, because we've seen Caden Curry. We saw him last year as a true freshman. Guy can make some plays enough to where he should be out there a solid amount, and he's rotated in. But Kenyatta Jackson, Ohio State lacks a traditional pass rusher. Like they lack a traditional, quick, bendy tall, long edge guy. And that seems like that's Kenyatta Jackson. But after week one or week two, he's sort of disappeared. And so 
I get that you got to win the game in front of you, and some of these games have been closer than Ohio State would like them to be. But that's also no excuse to not get some other guys reps and give some other guys a shot. JT Tumolo just racked up his first one and a half sacks. Jack Sawyer is still to get one. Like, give Kenyatta Jackson a shot. We think he's good. We think he was explosive during the spring and in the spring game, but that was going up against Ohio State's offensive line. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's not a good thing. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that kind of covers the press conference. Uh, we'll reti- we will continue to record on Tuesday in case we hear the sound bites. But every week I'm like, all right, Chuck, what time? Yeah, let's make sure we hear the press conference. Sometimes Monday's just best, especially when you got the Raiders playing the Packers on Monday Night Football. I had better <laughs> stuff to do with my time. We were free. But, uh, yeah, we were free. But, um, yeah, Chuck, let's take a break. Let's put a pin in it. We'll come back, and we'll talk Purdue, Boilermakers, whiskey and beer, the whole nine, right after this. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast for Chuck Holmes. I am Josh Dooley. It is golden black time, black and gold time. I think it's golden black time. It is time to talk Purdue, the Boilermakers, West Lafayette, all that good stuff. Partner, before we dig into our full-fledged Purdue preview I want to talk about Ohio State-Purdue games of the past, specifically played at Ross-Aid Stadium in West Lafayette, Indiana, at Purdue. Ross-Aid Stadium has legitimately been like a house of a thousand corpses for Ohio State. Some of us only want to remember Holy Buckeye, right? But the Boilermakers have beaten the Buckeyes five times in West Lafayette since 2000. So that's more games than Ohio State has lost in Ann Arbor since 2000. Ohio State, or I'm sorry, Purdue won home games in 2000, 2004, 2009, 2011, and 2018. And I think the worst part for Buckeye fans is the fact that Purdue like wasn't even good. When they pulled off most of these upsets. I mean, they had Drew Brees in 2000, so you live with that. They had neckbeard Kyle Orton, and the Buckeyes stunk in 04. So that's another one that might make some sense. But Purdue was 1-5, and 4-5, and five, and 3-3 three and three going into their last three home games against Ohio State. The last three times they beat them. So, Chuck, which upset or upsets stand out to you, and why in the hell does OSU struggle in West Lafayette? Is it the windmills? I think going to West Lafayette, Indiana is so unappealing to a <laughs> 18 to 22 year old young man that they just can't, they can't do anything about it. It is just that miserable to be there. I got in my head the thing that constantly haunts me, and I know it's the the most recent one, but Rondale Moore, I know it was only 250 all-purpose yards, 
But if you had told me before I looked at this box score earlier today that it was 500 all-purpose yards, I would I I would have believed you because he if the NFL draft and he was eligible was the next day, he was the number one pick because of what he did against that Ohio State defense that was pretty good that year um, in spots. That spot wasn't it, and that kind of was like the beginning of the end of us even thinking that they were a really elite defense, but it was embarrassing what he was able to do with David Blau as his damn quarterback. He would have been the second pick after this one running for or throwing for 378 against his, the Buckeyes. Holy smoke. So that one, even though uh, it was, I mean, it ended up costing them a chance at a national championship because it was such an egregious loss. I mean, it was just so bad that they couldn't even consider him for the playoff. And like the front seven, I think was okay, but that's the secondary. I don't remember the year they were all in, but that was Okuda. That was Sean Wade before they moved him outside. I think that was Jordan Fuller. And yeah, David Blau threw all over them. I'll say this. 2009 was just flat out embarrassing, but 2018 was absolutely shocking. I mean, Ohio State was undefeated and ranked number two at the time. And I mean, a 29 point loss to a 500 team. Are you kidding me? I remember a couple other things quite vividly regarding Ohio State. They couldn't run the ball and would not stop committing penalties. In that game, which sort of forced him to throw 73 freaking times. And they weren't the best conditions. It was sort of windy. Still, that number seems like a fake stat. And then Purdue, I'm with you. Rondale Moore and DJ Knox will probably haunt my dreams when I'm 80, if I make it that long. DJ Knox was the running back. He averaged like seven, eight yards per carry in that game. He was going bananas. So quarterback, running back, wide receiver, all torched Ohio State. That's what Ohio State does. Like they have their quarterback, running back, wide receiver, torch the opponent. Purdue could not stop scoring, and Ohio State couldn't keep up, even with Haskins threw for, what, 470 on all those attempts? But it wasn't producing a ton of points. It was that's how they got yards in that game. And it started out ugly. I think it was 28-6 to at one point. Didn't get any better. We sort of thought, okay, Ohio State's going to make their move. They're going to make their move. And they just sure as shit didn't. They never made their move. Ended up losing by 29. So that one was crazy. And then 9 Ohio State just... Gosh, had an awful team. Hey, I shouldn't say that. It was towards the end of the Trestle era, and Terrell Pryor committed a dozen turnovers in that game. So another one that was not pretty. The score was 28-16, to 16, if I'm not mistaken. But no real reason that that should have happened. Purdue was 1-5. and flipping five. So those are the two that jump out to me. There may be something to the fact that the drive to West Lafayette is so mind-numbingly boring, or the flight, whatever, but you get out and you look around and it's windmills, and nothing against the beautiful town or city of West Lafayette. I've 
I've made the drive. I'm just being honest here. Chuck, I know you've made that drive too. It's as flat as can be. There ain't nothing to look at. And I imagine that the campus, you look northeast, south, or west, and it's much of the same. But you can say that about Illinois. You can say it about Michigan State. You can say it about a number of other Big Ten stadiums. So I'm not real sure what it is, but it's definitely been a house of horrors. And I can't explain... Chuck, I'm putting you on the spot. Can you think of another, it doesn't even have to be college football. Can you think of another, air quotes, like good team that just struggles with a crappy opponent, whether it's at that opponent's house or not? Does one come to mind for you? Not like this, because like you said, they've not been good in almost every scenario. They've been mediocre at best, except for the Breeze game. And even then, like they had the one good year with Breeze. The offense was really good the whole time, but they only had one really good when they ran to the Rose Bowl season. So, no, I, I can't think of one. I was trying to go through. I've got one for uh, you. All my favorite sports. Oh, boy. So it's like an, it's sort of recent and it's more individual than anything. But Joe Burrow just can't beat the Bears or the, the Browns. I'm sorry. Goodness the gracious. Browns, yeah. Fair enough. And that's crazy, right? He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He took the Bengals to the AFC Championship game twice, Super Bowl once. He can't beat the Cleveland Browns. Granted, there was probably a reason behind it this year, but you usually see that with individual opponents. Like they they can't hit this team's pitching or they struggle with the front court matchup against a basketball team, something like that. But Ohio State football just struggles in West Lafayette like nothing I've ever seen. So sort of crazy, but let's get to our actual preview here of Purdue. The Boilermakers are certainly not a great team as they currently own a 2-4 and four record, but Purdue has obviously given Ohio State trouble in the past, and I really like Ryan Walters. I was admittedly not even aware of him before he took the defensive coordinator gig at Illinois. But you look at what he did there in just two seasons. The Fighting Illini went from 97th in scoring defense in 2020 to 29th in 2021. And then first tops numero uno in the entire country in 2022. Walters was a DB as a player, which I'm sure helped him to develop Devin Witherspoon, Jartavius Martin, and Sidney Brown all into NFL draft picks this past, what, April? Yeah, past April. I think the dude can flat out coach, but he needs some time to build up a Purdue, Purdue program that had previously just been reliant on quarterbacks and wide receivers to win games with a good coach in Jeff Brom. He's got Louisville undefeated right now. I know they had, like, what, Karloftis on defense recently. But Jeff Brom was trying to win games 35-31, 38-35, something like that. Let's not kid ourselves. So, Chuck, I want to bring you in here. Before we look at what the Boilermakers have done in 2023, do you think that Walters will eventually replicate some of Brom's better seasons when Purdue was winning eight, nine games, or is the future Big Ten going to render the middle class completely obsolete? Because 
they had limited success, Purdue that is, playing a big, a weak Big Ten West schedule. That is no longer going to be an advantage moving forward. So what do you think about the next couple of years there in West Lafayette? I, I think it's going to be a challenge. Now, he's a really good coach, so if somebody could do it, I think he could. The part of this that is so new to us and something as we're talking uh, preseason expectations of, of teams is I don't think we have done a good enough job of looking at how many guys they lost versus brought in when a coaching change happens. So they were a good team. Jeff Brom leaves, and I guarantee you do the math. They lost more talent out the door than than he, Ryan Walters was able to bring in. I know he brought in Card, and he's played okay, but these middle-of-the-pack teams that have a good year or two and lose a coach – are going to regress that first year or two until the co- unless the coach goes complete scorched earth like a Dion. But how many guys have that cachet? Dion, Lincoln Riley, um, who else? That's it. Like there's nobody yeah. else. Like say Ryan Day left and went to somewhere else. God knows where he would have the cachet if he wanted to dip into the transfer portal immediately. Harbaugh, guys that aren't leaving anywhere. Ryan Day could get any quarterback and wide receivers he wanted. Right. And that might be it, though. Right. But he could do that, right? He could look. I mean, look what Lincoln Riley did. He got Caleb Williams. Yeah. It, it changed the trajectory of the team. He doesn't do that if he's not going to get him. So that part of it, when we're looking at these teams that are in the five to eight win range uh, on bad versus good years, we really got to look at did they actually do anything to keep that talent base there because let's be honest as soon as Brom left the the door swung open and they were sprinting out the door because they don't have to sit out a year so I think he could do it the other part of that is you're going to have years in the Big Ten where you don't have to face as many of the big dogs they're so, going Purdue's going to have years where they don't have to face five great teams guess what though it's not next year I checked out their 2024 <laughs> schedule. Purdue plays Notre Dame and Oregon State out of conference. Oregon State, not part of the Big Ten. So they play Notre Dame and Oregon State out of conference. And then they get Ohio State, Oregon, Penn State, and Wisconsin. That's six games right there. Yeah, I mean, they're getting three of the top four teams in the current Big Ten. And then they get Oregon for their troubles. And they get Notre Dame and Oregon State for their troubles. So I hope that Walters gets it figured out. I really do. I think he's an impressive guy and he's an impressive coach. And you look at what he did with that Illinois defense that now sort of sucks. Um, Kudos to him. But let's reel it back in and talk about their 2023 season. Purdue has beaten Virginia Tech and Illinois while dropping games to Fresno State, Syracuse, Wisconsin, and Iowa. Two of their four losses were by double digits, but the Boilermakers were really in all of their games until the fourth quarter. They have been pretty competitive against the better teams on their schedule. I think Purdue's biggest issue has been defense, oddly enough, and that unit's inability to get off the field. 
The defense is giving up 28.0 points per game, which is 87th in the country. And that is after limiting Iowa to 20, or Iowa limiting themselves. But I want to start on the other side with the Boilermakers offense because that is our usual M.O. Hudson Card is the team's starting quarterback, and he has started every game, and I believe taken every single snap this season, if I'm not mistaken. Card is a transfer from Texas, where, honestly, he played pretty well in a limited role. He made a number of starts for the Longhorns, including their game against West Virginia last year. Like I picked his best performance, but... Against the Mountaineers, he went 21 for 27 for 303 yards and three touchdowns. Played really well. But he got pushed out by Quinn Ewers. That's what it all comes down to. He was a former four-star recruit. And thus far in his career, he has completed 64.5% of his passes for 17 touchdowns and seven interceptions. I think he's a solid player. Not a great player. Could potentially be a good player if surrounded by other good pieces. Does that make sense? And would you agree, Chuck? Yeah, he isn't good enough to be the quarterback at Texas, but Purdue's adequate. This is where he belongs. He is a uh, mid-level Power 5 quarterback. In the backfield, running back David Mockaby, Devin Mockaby, is another player I like. He ran for just under 1,000 yards last season, but he is joined in Purdue's backfield by Tyrone Tracy Jr. Sort of an interesting story. He was a wide receiver at Iowa for four years. He transferred to Purdue, played a hybrid role in 2022, and is now a full-time running back. So sort of like Charlie Jones, Tracy transferred from Iowa and found legitimate success at Purdue. Imagine that, another ricochet shot at Brian Ferentz. He is averaging around, (laughs) yeah, yeah, you know it. He is averaging around six yards per tote. On the outside, Deion Burks and Abdur Rahman Yassin do the heavy lifting at wide receiver. They also have Sherfield, who's been around the program for a little bit. What Purdue is lacking is, uh, the offensive line's not great, but the running game might tell you that they're decent, right? What Purdue is lacking is David Bell, Rondale Moore, guys like that. They do not have a dynamic playmaker, and in the past, that is what gave them a chance against Ohio State. Maybe not with David Bell because they haven't played that. They haven't played very many times when he was in West Lafayette, right? And Rondell Moore was 2018, but they don't have the explosive guy. They really don't even have the explosive tight end, I don't think. I wish I had that stuff up in front of me right now, but you think about in years past, they had like Payne Durham and some guys that could hurt you down the seam, catch and run sort of thing. So it's going to hurt them. The quarterback play is not bad, but I think, Like I said earlier, I think he needs pieces around him, Hudson Card does, to really elevate an offense, and he just doesn't have them right now. No, and I I don't think this line's very good either. I think part of it is when you are in a scenario like he is, if you don't have that guy that you can just get the ball out to and he can go make his play, a la David Bell, Rondale Moore, whoever it may be, if you don't have that guy, you've got to be able to go through your progressions. And it just doesn't feel like he can be able to do that right now. 
And because of that, you get the ball out quick. And great, you made a completion, but it was for five yards because these guys can't break a tackle and you can't pu- actually push the ball down the field. So to me, that part of it is going to be the biggest challenge for them. If he can't challenge this secondary that has been unchallenged so far, what the hell are they going to do? Like, if you can't put any pressure on them, if they can just hang out, it's going to be a long, long day for this offense. And barring some kind of miracle weather snafu that could cause chaos. Well, tell you what, we'll get to that. We'll get to the weather. On defense, though, first, Purdue has, they've at least done a good job of getting to the opposing quarterback and getting their hands on passes. But they're just, they're breaking too often after they bend. The Boilermakers have 18 sacks, 6 interceptions, and 19 pass breakups. Yet they were still, they were actually number 100 even out of 133 in points per game allowed prior to their matchup with Iowa. So it hasn't been great. They gave up at least 35 in each of their first three losses and really sort of like every way imaginable. Fresno State threw all over them. Syracuse ran all over them. I don't know if you saw some of that game. I know I did. The Cuse's quarterback ran for 200 by himself. And then Wisconsin... They just sort of got out to a lead and played conservative after that. Safety Dylan Thieneman leads the Boilermakers in tackles. Chuck, what do we say about teams with a safety as their leading tackler? Boy, you're not doing very good against the run. And uh, do you want to know the other two parts about him that make him interesting? Hit me. And scary. He's a freshman. And him and Dustin Fox. Have a lot in common. <laughs> Him, Dustin Fox, Donnie, Nicky, players of players of that ilk. But yeah, I mean, he he's a good ball player. I'll circle back around to him. The line, a couple of the linebackers, Kidron Jenkins or Kydron Jenkins and Nick Scourton, they lead Purdue in sacks and tackles for loss. Both feel sort of a hybrid role in the team's three four defense. Both are listed as linebackers. But they each weigh north of 260 pounds. Walters wants to create a lot of pressure up front. So he'll deploy a bunch of guys in the front seven that can theoretically pass rush the passer. And it's almost like they can go from a 3-4 to a 5-2, depending on the call or the play. They do a lot of different things. Getting back to Scourton real quick, dude is listed at 6-4-2-80. That ain't no linebacker. That's a freight train. He weighs as much as Mike Hall Jr. And he's playing outside linebacker for them. So I'll definitely have my eyes on him. And then, like I said, the secondary. First, I want to call out Cam Allen. He can and has played everywhere in the Purdue secondary during his five-year run as a Boilermaker. He has 12 career interceptions. He and Thieneman are... The leaders of a Purdue secondary that will obviously be tested. They also have Sanusi Kane back there, who is averaging seven total tackles per game this season. And it also needs to be pointed out that the Boilermakers, they did bring in some transfers to play defense. So this is this is not a finished product for Ryan Walters yet. But they haven't faced an Ohio State offense 
or an offense like Ohio State, they've given up some big points to to teams that just they don't throw the ball around. They don't have the same skill at running back, things like that. I think they might be in for some trouble. But the one thing, the couple of things that they do, well, they get to the opposing quarterback and they get their hands on passes. What does Ohio State struggle with? The receivers, okay, they'll be fine, but Emeka Buka might not be in this game. And then we've talked about the offensive line. So in theory, that's a strength on weakness sort of thing for Purdue. But I don't know that they will limit the Buckeyes, uh, you know, that severely, I guess. No, but boy, it sure is worrisome. Even if the Buckeyes can get through this game, that they can poke even more holes in this offensive line. There's no way these guys are playing with any kind of confidence right now, especially after the coach came out and said that. Now, I don't think they should justifiably have any confidence. They stink right now. But if these guys, if they can get to McCord, the other part, we don't know how McCord's going to handle pressure. We haven't seen it yet. Maybe it rattles him. Well, I mean, Notre Dame, though. Notre Dame. Yeah, but it wasn't. Notre Dame, they they were not this. It looks like. I mean, these they don't get after the quarterback in the same way. Yeah, right. absolutely. Now the pressure of the game, absolutely. But if he gets popped in his mouth a couple times, who knows? The old the old Mike Tyson saying, "Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth." That might be where Kyle McCord is. He hasn't gotten physically punched in the mouth yet, so that's worrisome. Like. If they can get to him a couple times, if 6-4-280 can land on him a couple times, that's going to hurt. And frankly, let's be honest, Kyle McCord hasn't taken a shot in three years. Maybe as a high school senior, he's not taking them in practice, and he hasn't really taken one this year. He didn't take one against Akron. Like, come on. So he's he is going to face something he hasn't faced yet. And with a new quarterback, obviously, you want to see him get through that unscathed. This is a game where, yeah, if Ohio State is going to get ready for Penn State with any sort of confidence, at least up front, they need to push Purdue around a little bit. And I don't know if they're capable of doing it because Ryan Walter is a good defensive coach. He's going to throw some looks at you. He's going to throw some stunts. He's going to throw all sorts of stuff up front at you, try to confuse you, try to get to your quarterback, which they've had success doing, Purdue has. So... That's certainly, it's an issue, but you know what I mean? I In 2018, Purdue's offense could put it on Ohio State, right? I don't think that's the case this year, so I'm not super worried about the game. Um, let's, let's get to the game and sort of the, the score and the predicted outcome, things like that. The spread is currently around 20. And Chuck, you hit on this right now. The weather is expected to be less than ideal. I don't love that. I think it's supposed to be in the 50s with some rain, maybe a little bit of wind. I don't love it because Ohio State has not run the ball effectively. And Purdue has, on occasion at least. But the Buckeyes can't F around and find out on Saturday. They did that against Maryland and still won by 20. But if the weather plays a factor and they're looking ahead to Penn State, then Purdue could make this interesting even if they're not as good as a Maryland, even if Hudson Card is not as good as Talia Tagovailoa and on down the line. 
Ohio State needs to go and make Purdue respect my authority. You know what I mean? Like they they got to go in there and they got to kick somebody's <laughs> ass. They really do because if they win, I I don't know twenty seven seventeen, like Penn State's gonna come into Columbus a week and a half from now salivating. They're going to come in with their own body bags, ready to scoop dudes up off the field if Ohio State messes around and doesn't look good against Purdue. So I I hope that's in the back of like coaches' minds, and I hope that the players are not looking too far ahead. Trap game, right? It's a popular term. This could be considered one of those. I, I just I hope that Ohio State treats this game with the proper TLC. You know what I mean? I agree. And I'm sure that's the conversation that's being had. And I hope they take heed. The problem is none of these guys were around. Even 2018's far enough away that even I don't know that we have maybe but a player or two left from that. I mean, Proctor Proctor, and Matt Jones would have been part of the 2018 class. So they were there for it. They might not have even traveled, though, being freshmen. But yeah. regardless, they felt the wrath of Urban on Sunday or Monday, whatever the next day was. They were in the Woody with him. So they felt that. I don't think this is a scenario where it gets too close that it gets that, that you're tight about it. But I'm not convinced that this is a runaway by any means. And talent-wise, it should be. I think it's close enough at half to piss everybody off, but ends up being uh, enough that they can go into Purdue and or go into Penn State and convince themselves that it was a good win. I feel like they fall back on that sometimes, convincing themselves or convincing oh, oneself 100%. that it was... So... It'll be interesting, but I just like I don't want to put a jinx on anybody or anything. I'm knocking on wood right now. Right now, I do not think that this Purdue team is good enough to close the talent gap. I, I don't think they can execute well enough. I don't think that they have the horses on offense. I don't think that they have the horses on defense. They have uh, a couple other animals on defense we've talked about the size of some of those outside linebackers they can do their thing but I just don't see it I really don't I'm trying to stall I was looking to see if Josh Proctor appeared in the Purdue game he did not register a stat but he played in nine games as a true freshman so there's a chance that he did see the field on like special teams against Purdue but just as a funny aside Let's do predictions, Chuck. I think I went first last time. Let's see if we differ. What is your prediction for this weekend's game? Taking into account look ahead, potential weather, shitty offensive line play, the whole nine yards. I think the weather does factor in now that you talked about wind and rain. So I don't think it's a cover. I think it's a 24-7 Buckeye victory. Gosh, that sounds like a crap game. Hopefully the weather's not that bad. Hopefully it gets. I don't want to watch a 24-7 game between Ohio State and Purdue. I'm going to get a little bit more aggressive. Again, because if all if the weather neutralizes everything, I just don't think that Purdue is good enough to put up a lot of points. And if Ohio State gets Travion Henderson back, which, oh my gosh, I hope that they do, 
I think that they can figure out a way to score. Nobody's guarding Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, you know, they'll scheme open Cade Stover if Emeka Book is not out there. They'll pound the rock, even with a less than stellar offensive line. So I'm going 38 to 13, Buckeyes. Slight cover, but it might look similar to last week's game where maybe it's close for a quarter or two quarters, something like that. Then I think the cream rises to the top. So are you at all fearful, Chuck, of the ghosts of Ross Aid Stadium though? Like do you think there do you think there's any way that they're Ohio State's just looking too far ahead and Purdue finds something with their ground game? Or at worst, do you think that this is a an upsetting victory for Ohio State? Yeah, I think the only thing that could cause problems for them is if they play at a level that causes problems the week after. It's going to be a victory this week, but you would love to have some momentum going into the next week against Penn State, and that part of it is worrisome, that if they get into like a little slog fest, then all of a sudden they're not ready to go at high noon against the Nittany Lions. Yeah, I really hope that these guys have it in their heads. It's been ingrained in them by the time Saturday comes around that they cannot mess around. They really can't because this needs to be, I know a get right game sounds sort of weird, but this is sort of a get right game. You got to go exert your, uh, not exert your will. You got to go like enforce your will on somebody. Impose your will. There we go. There we go. Keep that in the pod because I want people to hear that it's not all sunshine and rainbows. But you've got to go and do that. And I'm looking right now. Yeah, it says 56 is the high, 43% chance of precipitation, wind 16 miles an hour. Now, if these yahoos that are doing the what the 10-day in West Lafayette or for West Lafayette or anything like the ones that do the 10-day for Columbus, Ohio, it might be 83 and sunny. But right now, it looks like real Big Ten football weather. It's going to drop from like mid-70s the day before. So just something to watch out for. But this is not the weather channel. This is not um, you know what you come here for. You come here for Ohio State talk and previews and that's going to be the end of this one. Chuck and I are going to get out of here. We will ba- be back here Sunday. Usually right around our noon spot is when we try and get that Sunday pod up. And until then, as always, you know, ignore the ghosts. Do whatever you need to do to get rid of the juju coming into this or going into this weekend. And until next time, go Bucks.